Hey everyone, I'm Megan Sullivan and welcome back to History and Games, a podcast where I play historical fiction games and talk about the real history behind the game. In today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on the popular strategy JRPG Fire Emblem Three Houses, developed by Intelligent Systems and Koi Tecmo Games for the Nintendo Switch. Now in the last two episodes, I talked about Fire Emblem's connection to both ancient Egypt via the goddess Sothis and ancient Greece via the goddess Rhea. And that was pretty cool. But did you know there's even more hidden history in Fire Emblem Three Houses? Specifically, the history of ancient Nabataea, ancient Tibet, and ancient China. But in order to understand the connection between these three cultures and Fire Emblem, we'll have to leave ancient Greece and go further east. And we'll start in the Arabian Desert with the Nabataeans. So who were the Nabataeans? The Nabataeans were originally nomads from southern Arabia, who first appeared in written records sometime around the 6th century BCE. Over time, they amassed a great amount of wealth by running successful trade caravans along the incense routes that stretched from the Arabian Peninsula all the way to the Mediterranean. These successful traders eventually founded a prosperous kingdom with strategically placed cities along the main trade routes. The capital of their kingdom was Rakhmu, located in a narrow desert canyon in what is today's modern Jordan. Later, this city was known in the West as, get this Black Eagle fans, Petra, derived from an ancient Greek word meaning rock or stone. Why did the Greeks call it that? Because almost all of Petra's elaborate buildings were carved from the canyon's beautiful rose-colored sandstone. This ability to create entire cities from stone was a unique feature of Nebatean culture and made Petra and its sister cities architectural marvels. But Petra was also an engineering marvel. Not only did it feature stunning tombs and temples built into the canyon walls, it also featured sophisticated hydro-engineering constructs that could collect rain and flash flood waters from the surrounding desert. These water constructs turned Petra into a lush green oasis that was so well watered it could sustain a populace of up to 30,000 people by ensuring there was always water to drink and water for crops. Because of this, the Nabataeans were able to live in Petra's harsh environment all year round. And this, along with things like camel troughs and storage vats for spices and frankincense, is what allowed them to tightly control overland trade along the incense routes. Unfortunately, although the Nabataeans were great at trade, they didn't always get along with their neighbors, and more than one war was fought between the Nabataeans and other civilizations. Despite this, the kingdom was able to remain more or less independent for many centuries. Well, that is, until it was finally annexed by the Roman Empire in the 2nd century AD. By the way, you can see a lot of Greco-Roman influence in and around Petra, including an amphitheater, a Roman-built road, painted murals, and buildings with Corinthian columns attached to them. And if you watched the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you can actually see one of these beautiful buildings during the last scene of the movie. Now, although we don't know a whole lot about daily life in Petra, we do know that it was a cosmopolitan city, affected by various cultures over the centuries. For example, the Nabataeans not only worshipped their own native pantheon of gods and goddesses, often represented by blocks of stone with faces carved on them known as betels, there's also evidence that they worshipped foreign deities, like the Greek god of wine Dionysus, and a form of the Egyptian goddess Isis, whom as I mentioned in the first episode of this Fire Emblem miniseries, is affiliated with the Egyptian goddess Sobtet, aka Sothis. 
It's possible there was a Jewish population in the city at some point, and archaeologists have even found the remains of a Byzantine church, which indicates that at some point during the Byzantine era, Christianity spread to Petra via its link to the Roman Empire. What's also interesting about Nabataean culture is its seemingly progressive nature, especially when it came to women. We know from various Nabataean inscriptions and other bits of evidence that women were influential in politics and religion, were allowed to own and manage property, and even allowed to enter into legal contracts. These contracts would have been written in Nabataea's local script, a variation of ancient Aramaic, which, by the way, ended up being the forerunner of the modern Arabic script. In short, the Nabataeans were a very sophisticated and advanced society. So what happened? Unfortunately, we don't know what happened to the Nabataeans. It's possible that after overland trade was replaced by oceanic trade, Petra and its sister cities started to become increasingly irrelevant. Then after a massive earthquake in the 6th century AD and later the Muslim conquest in the 7th century AD, the Nabataeans just kind of up and abandoned Petra altogether, and both the city and its inhabitants faded into obscurity for the next thousand years. It wasn't until the early 19th century that Petra was rediscovered in the West by a Swiss explorer named Johann Burghardt. Ever since then, archaeologists have been fascinated by this lost civilization. But although we've learned a lot about the Kingdom of Nabataea, parts of it still remain a mystery. So how does this all tie in with the Nabataeans of Fire Emblem? Well, in Three Houses, the Nabataeans were also part of an extremely advanced civilization with an isolated capital located in a rose-red canyon, just like Petra. And just like their real counterpart, the Nabataeans of Fire Emblem end up being forgotten by history. But what's interesting to me is the Nabataeans in Fire Emblem don't call their capital Petra. Strangely enough, they call it Xanado. Why? Well, this is where things take a bit of a detour and become a little less historical and a little bit more philosophical. If you look at the game's original Japanese spelling for the name Xanadu, it closely matches the katakana for the word Xanadu. Xanadu, or Jandu, was a luxurious summer palace of Kublai Khan, who ruled over China in the 13th century. His summer retreat was described by Marco Polo as a place of wondrous beauty, and over the centuries, the city was romanticized as a type of earthly paradise, which is kind of how the Nabataeans in Fire Emblem thought of their home before it was destroyed by the evil Agarthans. Oh, and speaking of the Agarthans, what about their capital in Fire Emblem, which is located underground and called Shambhala? Well, that has an interesting philosophical connection as well. According to Tibetan Buddhist belief, Shambhala, better known in the West as Shangri-La, is an enlightened and peaceful society that dwells somewhere in the Himalayas. Only those pure of heart can live there, and those who do are immune to suffering, want, or old age. Stories of Shambhala have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and even today, there are still Tibetan ceremonies honoring the mystical power of Shambhala. So then what's the connection between Shambhala and Agartha? Well, I admit that this is where things get kind of confusing. There's actually another set of Eastern traditions about another type of paradise that sounds very much like the stories of Shambhala, and that paradise is Agartha. The legend of Agartha was first introduced to the West by a 19th century French philosopher and occultist named Alexandre Saint-Yves. He claimed to have learned from a Sanskrit teacher of an enlightened society living not in the Himalayas, but under them, in a subterranean kingdom known as Agartha. Eves believed the kingdom's enlightened and technologically superior citizens would only appear to surface dwellers once people reached a state of harmonious political enlightenment called synarchy. 
Later, other stories about Agartha began to spread throughout the West and became associated with Shambhala. In fact, one tradition about Agartha claims that its capital is, in fact, named Shambhala. In short, the Agarthans of Fire Emblem and their futuristic city are directly inspired by the set of ancient Eastern traditions. However, the developers of Fire Emblem decided to flip these traditions around, and instead of being wise and kind, the Agarthans of Fire Emblem are mean and cruel, and their behavior mimics the actions of, say, the ancient Romans more than anyone else. Which makes sense, since the Romans did manage to conquer the ancient Nabataeans, the ancient Egyptians, and the ancient Greeks, all of whom we've talked about in this Fire Emblem series. And that brings us right back around to the fact that we have a historical throughline in Fire Emblem regarding Western history. But here's the real challenge. Can we link all of this Western history to Fire Emblem's other historical inspiration, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is based on real Chinese history? It's a stretch, but we can do it. In order to understand how, we have to go north, beyond the Himalayas, to Western China. Now, for years, it was assumed that ancient China's contact with the West was severely limited. Even though China was aware of the Roman Empire, which it called Da Qin, most of China's contact with the West outside a few rare embassies was through Parthian traders who acted as middlemen along the Silk Road. But as it turns out, China did have direct contact with Western people, even before the Warring States period in the 3rd century AD, which is what Romance of the Three Kingdoms is based on. And we know this because we have archaeological evidence. In the 1980s, a piece of extremely rare woolen textile was discovered in an ancient burial ground in northwestern China, dating as far back as the 3rd century BCE. Called the Sampol Tapestry, it depicts what looks to be a Greek soldier with blue eyes, a phalanx spear, and a tunic. Even more intriguing, the image of a centaur, a very Greek motif, is woven above the soldier's head. Now, the only reason we even know about this tapestry is long, long ago, a Western soldier, or possibly mercenary, somehow managed to get his hands on a piece of the tapestry, which he then sewed into a pair of trousers. When he died, the soldier and his fancy pants were buried in the dry, arid desert, which helped preserve the fabric until it was uncovered by archaeologists many, many centuries later. In short, thanks to a magical pair of pants, we can actually connect Chinese and Western history directly. But wait, we can also tie China to ancient Nabataea and Egypt. During the War of the Three Kingdoms in the 3rd century AD, a Chinese author named Yu Huan mentions in his work A Brief History of Wei a small kingdom within the Roman Empire called Sifu, which is thought to be the Chinese name for the city of Petra. This same author also mentions a place called Haixi, meaning west of the sea. And as it turns out, this was the Chinese name for Egypt. And so not only did China know about Greece and Rome, it also knew about Nabataea and Egypt. In other words, we can connect all of the Western history we talked about in our series to ancient China. Cool. At any rate, we did it, fam. We unraveled the entire secret history of Fire Emblem Three Houses and somehow managed to tie it all together. I hope this trip through time has been fun and informative for you. And don't worry, there's more to come. I mean, we still have to talk about the game's unmistakable allusions to medieval history, its heavy-handed references to Shakespeare's King Lear, and its many references to Celtic mythology. There's tons more history to unpack in Fire Emblem Three Houses, and we'll do that in future podcasts. At any rate, guys, questions, comments, suggestions, let me know by emailing me at meganhistory, M-E-G-N-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, at gmail.com, 
Hit me up on Twitter at Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N underscore I-G-N, or follow me on Instagram at Celtic underscore Queen underscore Meg. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye.